overhearing a, a conversation just yesterday afternoon between my mum and Becky and they were having a very deep and theologically profound conversation about hairdressers uh, and, and discussing various hairdressers and, and uh, they got talking about one particular hairdresser that they'd both experience of and, and they said, they kept going, she never shuts up. She just talks and talks and talks and you almost feel like, I hope this person isn't in here. Um, <laughs> If, it, if it's not you, if you're a hairdresser, it's, if it's not you. Um, but she just keeps talking and you almost feel like if you answer a question, you're interrupting her and you leave the salon. She's really good, but you actually leave feeling really drained and like you need to lie down in a dark room for an hour. And some of us know people like that, don't we? That they just talk and talk and talk and they never shut up. And then there's other people who it's like bloodstone. You know, it's like, come on, like, give me something. Like, I'm just, like, you're talking to them. And it's not because you want to keep talking. It's just because if you don't keep talking, there's going to be absolute silence that's going to be really awkward. And so you end up sharing stuff with them that you never planned to share. Um, just because you ask them what should be an open question with a five-minute answer and you get a one-word back. Those of you with teenage boys know exactly what I'm talking about. How was your day? Fine. Um, that doesn't change actually as you get older sure it doesn't wives uh, how is your day at work fine um, that uncovers that just, that's everything you need to know it was fine um, but we are a people who communicate we are a people who speak apparently women uh, on average speak 20,000 words a day where men only speak about 7,000 words so women speak three times more words than men. As the facts, folks, I am not making any judgment on that. Women also speak more quickly. They devote more brain power to talking. And apparently for women, the very act of talking actually triggers uh, brain chemicals like dopamine, which gives them a rush similar to heroin addicts when they get a high. Uh, this, is, this is science. This is real science. So men, just, you know, just... just sh- I rebuke that spirit. Uh, just let them talk and smile and nod. That is the best way. Um, but whether you speak 20,000 words a day, 7,000 words a day, or seven, the fact is that we as humans are created as people who communicate. And that shouldn't surprise us. Because we read in the book of Genesis that we are created in the image of God. And our God is a God who speaks. Our God is a God who communicates. If you'd go to the third slide, actually, there for one wee second. We get into the first book of the Bible, and we see it says, And God said. And God said. From the very beginning of creation, we have a God who speaks. And then he makes man and woman in his image, so it shouldn't surprise us that we have the ability to communicate. So today we're thinking about prophecy. We're thinking about hearing God's voice. And here is what prophecy really is. Um, we, we were looking at the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. And one of the gifts of the Spirit that Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 12.10 is prophecy. He says to another prophecy. And then he says this in 1 Corinthians 14.1. He says, follow the way of love. And eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And I love how he puts these two things together, because this is the start of 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 13, as we said last week, is the love chapter. So he says, follow the way of love, but don't just leave it at love. 
eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Eagerly desire, eagerly pursue. He says, actually, I want you to pursue this gift. I want you to pursue the ability to hear God's voice. And the difference between just hearing God's voice and prophecy is this. Hearing God's voice might just be for you. You could be praying, you could be having a quiet time at home, a devotional, and God speaks to you through a word. He speaks to you just in a quiet, still, small voice. And that's for you, and you just sense God speaking to you. That's you hearing God's voice. Prophecy is when God gives you a word, when God speaks to you, and you speak it to other people. That you speak it out. That it's a word not just personally for you, but it's a word for other people. So that's the difference between prophecy and simply hearing God's voice. And our God is a God who loves to communicate. Psalm 139 says this, that the thoughts that God has about every person in this room outnumber the grains of sand. Think about that. Think about the strand beach. Think about the deserts of the world. Think about the golf course bunker that you spent half a yesterday afternoon in. The thoughts, just take one handful of sand and imagine that's the thoughts that God has. And God says, actually, the thoughts that I have about you outnumber all the grains of sand. In other words, you're constantly in God's mind. That's what the psalm says. And so when we're prophesying, when we're hearing God's voice, here's the way I like to put it. You're simply picking one of those grains of sand. You're simply picking up on one of God's thoughts. And maybe it's about you, maybe it's about other people. But you're simply accessing one of the thoughts that God is having. It is your birthright. If you're a Christian here this morning, it is your birthright to hear God's voice. There is this fallacy and misconception that prophecy is for the super spiritual, hyper charismatic Christians who spend six hours a day in prayer, who fast every week for three days. I mean, I fast between breakfast and lunch and between lunch and dinner. That's about as much fasting as I do. But if you're a Christian, you can hear God's voice. It is not for super spiritual. It's not for the spiritual elite. Now, there is a difference between prophecy and prophets. Okay, I want to make this clear. Because some of you will be like, I'm not a prophet. And I'm not telling you you are a prophet. I'm saying that you can have the gift of prophecy. You can hear God's voice. Some people have the gift of evangelism. Billy Graham, who went to be with the Lord just in the last year. So what a wonderful, wonderful man and what a wonderful legacy he left. If you've ever heard Billy Graham preach, it's not that impressive. Like he's, he's not that incredibly impressive. His sermons aren't that dynamic. If I preached the same sermon, I could probably make it just a little bit better. But he preaches that sermon and 30,000 people come to the front to be saved. If I preach it, there would be crickets and, 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 and tumbleweed blown across the ground. Why? Because he has the gift of evangelism. He is an evangelist. I'm not. But that doesn't mean I don't share the gospel. Every Christian is called to share the gospel. 
That doesn't make you an evangelist. It simply makes you obedient. Some people have the gift of generosity and giving. I know uh, there was a lady in our church in Dublin who, who was a millionaire. She owned 19 pharmacies across Dublin. And she actually, if you'd have saw her, you'd have thought like, she just, she just, she looks like she, I'm not going to say where she looked like she worked because some of you again will work there and you'll be offended. But she just looked like somebody who you would pass in the street and not assume anything about them. And yet she was a multi-millionaire. And I talked to her, she used to bring me for lunch. <laughs> I used to love meeting her for lunch. She would take me to these places and I'd get like fillet steak for lunch, you know. Like it would be like a, a 90 euro lunch in Dublin. And like it's the only time I would ever, you know. Normally for me it was like a protein bar or like a, a, a something out of the spa. Like I would get fillet steak for lunch. Like, and, and, but, but I remember talking to her over lunch and I said like, what is it about this? She says, Craig, I don't really, I don't really care much about the money. I just, I just find it really easy to make money, and I like giving it away. And she did. Every gift day we had, she would give us in the tens of thousands of euros. She just loved being generous. She had a gift of making money and giving money. I don't have that gift. I've got it, hopefully, to some degree. But every Christian, whether you have the gift of giving or not, you're called to give. You're called to give generously to your local church. Some people have a particular gift of healing. Mark Marks was with us a few months ago. Mark has an, a unique gift of healing. I don't have that gift, but I do pray for the sick, and occasionally they get healed. Every Christian is called to pray for the sick. And you may not be a prophet and have the gift of prophecy, but that doesn't mean you can't hear God's voice for other people. So there's the office of prophet and then there's the gift whereby God is able to speak through you. And it is your birthright as a child of God. In John 10, Jesus is talking to the disciples about being the good shepherd. And look at what he says in verses two to five. He says, the one who enters through the gates gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. And listen to it. And they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. The only qualification for hearing the voice of the shepherd is this. Will you be a sheep? That's it. Are you a sheep? Are you one of his fold? If you're one of his fold, you can learn to hear his voice. Now, I'm thinking of a new baby lamb or a new sheep that comes into the fold. It doesn't recognize the shepherd's voice immediately. But the more time the shepherd and the sheep spend together, the more the sheep learns to recognize his voice. When my wife phones me, she doesn't have to start the conversation by going, Hi, Craig, it's Becky, your wife here. I know her voice. I recognize her voice because I have learned through relationship over time to understand and recognize what she sounds like. The key is in all of this is relationship. From the moment our little boy Elijah was born, I've talked to him. He couldn't understand most of what I said for the first few years, but I didn't stop talking to him. 
I kept talking to him until he understood what I said. And now if I'm in another room, he recognizes my voice. Now if I call him, he ignores me, but he still recognizes my voice. He does. And we'll get to that later about how sometimes we ignore the father's voice. Um, But even when he couldn't understand, I kept talking. And sometimes we think, well, I'm, I'm not... I haven't been a Christian. I'm a baby Christian, and I'm not good. I want to tell you that your inability to understand everything God sent doesn't stop him wanting to speak. I didn't go, Elijah, you're six months old, and this is a bit of a waste of time, son. So I'm I'm not going to talk to you until you're three and a half again, okay? Because how will he ever grow to speak and to hear my voice and discern my voice unless I keep talking to him? And our God, as we sing, is a good, good father. It is my birthright to hear his voice. The key again is relationship. John 15, 15, Jesus says this to the disciples. I no longer call you slaves, because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the father told me. Jesus says, you're my friends, and friends talk to each other. Friends share things. God is not like a sat-nav. I have a tom-tom in my car, okay, when I'm driving. And this impersonal voice tells me to turn left or turn right or turn around. Or, and, 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 and sometimes we think God is like that. He's this impersonal voice, but it's not. He's not a sat-nav. He's a co-pilot. He's sitting beside you and he's talking to you constantly and he wants to speak to you. It's a two-way thing. And I want to ask you about your prayer life. Are you like that hairdresser I talked about at the start? Where all you do is talk and you never listen. Remember Samuel? Eli told him to say this. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I think most Christians today are like, listen, Lord, because your servant is speaking. Are we listening to God? Are we dialoguing? Do we realize that this is a two-way conversation? That this is a relationship? This is not a monologue where I come to God with a list of things. But do I actually take time to listen to him? In John 16, 12 to 14, Jesus says this. He says, there's so much more I want to tell you. He's about to go back to heaven. He says, there's so much I still want to say to you, but you can't bear it out. But when the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you to all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. In other words, Jesus says, I'm going to keep speaking after I go back to heaven. I'm going to keep talking to you because there's so much more I want to say to you. And so the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, which we're celebrating today. And Peter got up and he began to preach this sermon to the crowds in Jerusalem at this great Jewish festival. And as part of his sermon to the crowds, he quotes the prophet Joel. And he says, this prophecy from Joel from hundreds of years ago is now coming to fulfillment because the Holy Spirit has been outpoured. This is the prophecy from Acts 2 and Joel 2. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Are you having visions or are you having dreams? That's a good discernment of what age you are. In those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. These are those days. 
These are those days. And look at what he says, that we are a prophetic people. And he doesn't discriminate because in the Old Testament it would have been okay to say the men will hear God's voice and the men will prophesy and, 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 and not the slaves and not the servants but the wealthy and the upstanding and the righteous. But he says, no, I will not discriminate and I will not segregate. Look at what he says. He's not sexist. He says men and women, young and old, he's not ageist. Servants, he doesn't care what class you are in society. A little girl at five can hear God's voice as much as a 60-year-old pastor. So every Christian can hear God's voice. That's the foundation. Maybe you've been told you can't. I want to tell you today, on the authority of God's word, if you are a sheep, if you're a child of God, you can hear God's voice. And I will go further than that, and I will say, you have heard God's voice. Do you know why? Because you're a Christian. You couldn't be a Christian unless God spoke to your heart. You couldn't be a Christian unless God spoke to you, unless he convicted you, unless he somehow spoke into your life and called you to follow Jesus. You couldn't be a Christian. So you have heard God's voice. So how does God speak? How does God speak today? Okay. The primary way, and it's always going to be our foundation, is that God primarily speaks through the Bible. Sometimes people come to me and they say, give me a prophetic word, and I say, go read your Bible. I need to hear from God. When's the last time you read your Bible? 1987. You probably haven't. You know, God has spoken. God speaks through his word. And if you want to hear God speak, please immerse yourself in this book. Because 1 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All this book is inspired. It's literally that word God breathed means expired by God. God breathes on the pages. This is not like a Harry Potter or a John Grisham novel. This is the word of the living God. Its pages are full of life. It is full of the breath of God. And as you read this, you will be transformed. God speaks through his word. But let's be honest, there are some things this word doesn't always tell us. It gives us principles, but it doesn't tell us clearly certain details. It doesn't tell you who to marry. It gives you principles about who to marry. It doesn't tell you what job to take, what to study at university. When we were thinking about the different churches over the years, the book didn't say go to Dublin, go to Craig Avon. And so there's other times that we need to to take this as the foundation because he will never say anything that contradicts this book. Anyone who ever prophesies something over you that contradicts this book is lying. It is not from God. Reject it. But there are some times when we need a personal word from God. We need him to speak clearly into our lives. And I have experienced that over my 29 years now of following Jesus. I have a Bible at home. And in the back of that Bible, it's one of the most precious things I have, are prophetic words, particularly from 1992 to 1994. I became a Christian in 1990. So in 1992, I was 16. Between 16 and 18, I must have got 15 prophetic words. And they all said things like, you're going to lead a church. God is going to use you to teach his word. How long ago? That was, what, 23 years ago? No, 20, whatever, 1992, 27 years ago. 
God's began to speak into my life then what I'm doing today. And there's other things he has spoken over the years that I haven't seen come to pass yet. But prophecy and, and the prophetic and hearing God's voice has been so pivotal for me and for us as a couple. Honestly, we, every significant decision we have ever made, and I'll share some of those as I go through this, every significant decision we have ever made, particularly about where to move our family, has been taken through hearing God's voice. We have never made a significant decision without hearing the voice of God. So how does God speak? He speaks through his word. He speaks through the Bible. Secondly, through visions and pictures. This is how Becky would tend to hear God speak more. It could be just this fleeting image that comes to your mind, just literally like a snapshot. And you're like, that was weird. Where did that come from? It could be a, a, a broader vision. Sometimes it can almost, maybe you're praying and it can feel like you're almost watching a movie. Maybe you're in it. Maybe somebody else is in it. And it's, you just, you just see this moving thing, this story before you. And, and, uh, and it's a, a vision. In Acts 16 we read this. Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel for them. In April 2016, we had been five years in Dublin. Some of you will have heard me share this story, but I know there's many people here who are new or I've shared it probably on a Sunday night. Um, April 2016, we had been five years in Dublin. I was a bit burnt out. We were due to take a sabbatical starting in May. And I had been on a five-year contract, so we were due to take a sabbatical and come back in September, and they wanted us to sign a new three-year contract for the church in Dublin. And yet for the previous two years before that, we had had this sense that the five years was as long as God was going to keep us there. Um, we felt we'd done everything in the five years that we wanted to do, that God had called us to do. And quite honestly, quite honestly, we didn't like living there. <laughs> I mean, that was it. We were actually starting to really dislike living there by that stage. At the start, we loved it. By the fourth year, we really didn't like it. Um, but you know what? God had called us there. But we knew from the end of year three, from the summer at the end of year three, we knew God was starting to prepare us to move us on. But we kept faithful for two more years. And we were determined to not, we never move unless we hear God's voice. And so my prayer as we were approaching our sabbatical, which the church was in pen for, which helped. It had been privately funded. As we're approaching the weeks up to our sabbatical, Becky has just started a great job that she had been looking for for four years. For the first time in our whole marriage, we're starting to financially get on our feet. And I'm praying, and this is my prayer, God Will you open a door to the next place? God, I sense you're moving us on. We've sensed it for two years. God, will you open a door to the next place? And this was a particular time in my life when God was doing something strange with me. He was waking me up about twice a week at 4.30 a.m. on the dot to pray. I had 
I had sensed that he, and I said, God, if you wake me up at 4.30, I'll get up and pray, which was a stupid thing to say at the time. And, and sometimes God takes us in that. And so I would wake up, and I, would, I wouldn't even have to look at my watch. I would just know. And I would look, and it would literally be 4.30. I'm like, oh, I've got to get up and pray. And, and this would happen over a period of about a month, and I would get up probably twice a week, maybe three times a week, and I would go into my study, and I would get on my knees, and, and I would open my Bible, and I would try not to fall back to sleep, and I would pray. And so this was around April 2016, God gets me up at 4.30, I'm on my knees, I'm praying, and I'm saying, Lord, will you open a door for us? We know that our time in Dublin is coming to an end. Lord, will you open a door for us? And immediately I had a vision. And I, I, say, I, I know how spiritual this sounds. Can I say to you, I don't think I've ever had a vision before or since then, okay? This is 29 years of following Jesus, one time, okay? So please don't misread this. Like, I hear these preachers who have angelic encounters before we have our Weetabix in the mornings. You know, angels are river dancing, the duvet is... That's not me. I had one vision in 29 years, but it, it, because I hadn't had many, I knew it was a vision. And in the vision, this is what happened. I'm in a prison cell, and the door opens, and they say, Craig, you're free to go. And the warden opens the door and leads me down a corridor. And as I'm walking down the corridor, I have one question in my mind. Will there be anybody outside waiting for me? Will there be anybody on the other side? Will there be anybody outside waiting for me? But I have to keep going because I've been released. And I walk down the corridor and I walk down the stairs and I come out of the exit. And I remember the big steel gates because I'd, I'd been doing prison ministry in Dublin at this stage. So I knew exactly what it looked like. And I remember the big steel gate was about to, to, to slowly move open in my vision. And I've got the question, will there be anybody at the other side? Will there be anybody? And, and as I moved across, there was like this big, what's those cars in America? Uh, no, you know the big ones that like, like the, the Griswolds drove in, in National Lampoons? What's that? Station wagon, thank you. There was like a big station wagon and a bunch of smiling faces going, over here, Craig, over here. And there were people outside waiting for me, okay? And that was God saying to me, what was my prayer? Will you open a door? God opened a door. But it wasn't to open a door for a new place for us to go. He was releasing us from the place we were. And he was saying to me and to us as a couple and a family, I'm releasing you from here because we had felt, uh, imprisoned makes it sound bad, but Paul talks about being a prisoner for the Lord. We had felt like we were not going to move until we were released by the Lord. And so he was releasing us from that place. And he was saying, you need to keep walking and you don't know what's on the other side, but you need to trust me that when you get to the other side, there'll be somebody there. And within a week, we both handed in our resignation. And we left before the sabbatical. And that also gave them time to, that gave them four, because we knew we were going to come back and resign. It gave them three or four months to find somebody else. So we take our sabbatical, four months. We come back in August, we've still got a month's sabbatical left. We don't know what to do. Our theory is this, if we're both unemployed, we're nicer to walk the streets in Port Stewart. And so we go on Gumtree, we find somebody who'll rent us a house in Port Stewart for six months, we rent a wee terrace house at the top of Port Stewart. 
Last month, the first sabbatical, nothing is happening. And I'm holding on to this vision, there'll be somebody waiting for you at the other side. There'll be somebody waiting for you at the other side. There'll be somebody waiting for you at the other side. And I'm like, God, this, I, I, I need a job. Like The funds are running low. I am a husband who needs to provide for my family. I have rent to pay. And as the last week approached, I started to panic. And I started calling companies to work on my, uh, Linus's food company. I was trying to get in contact with them to work on the assembly line there. I, would, I was trying to, I've been a postman for summer. I was been going, trying to be a po- I would have done anything just to earn money. And nothing was working out. And on the very last week of my sabbatical, I turned on my southern phone, which I hadn't had on since we'd moved back up north because I had no reason to have my Dublin phone on. I thought, I'm just going to check this. And there was a text message from a guy called Alan Scott, which had just come through the day before, saying, hi, Craig, I'd love to meet you for coffee. And uh, I met him the next day in Three Kings in Port Stewart for coffee. And he said, Craig, will you come on staff here? And I said, doing what? He said, write your own job description. And I said, what? And anyone who knows Alan, like, like, that's not Alan. He said, I want you to preach every Sunday at some stage and I want you to write for me. He said, do you want to work full time? I said, look, I'm a bit burnt out. I'll do two thirds of a job. He said, what about Becky? I said, what do you want her to do? He said, get her to write a job description. And, I, I, so, and it was basically mentoring and meeting with young women. And as this goes on, I'm thinking, now this is brilliant. But I wonder, is this a volunteer post? Because this can be really awkward. You know, like. And I said, Alan, is this a paid post? And Alan said, yes. He said, yeah. He said, back before you went on your sabbatical, the trustees of this church had a meeting. And for some reason in that meeting, I felt prompted to say this. If Craig and Becky Cooney ever move to the area, let's set aside a full-time salary now so that we don't have to meet before we can take them on. So your salary was set aside four months ago. So yes, it's paid already, and the trustees decided it four months ago. God had a car waiting on the other side. But it went down to the wire and we had to trust him. That was a vision. And we hung on to that vision and that vision proved to be a reality. Sometimes it's just a snapshot. Sometimes it's more than that. For us to leave our job, it needed to be more than that. And there were other things that backed it up in the days ahead. We didn't just leave on one vision. There were things that happened in the week ahead that, that showed that the vision was right. Sometimes God will give you a clear vision. What about dreams? Job 33 says this, for God does speak now one way now another in a dream and a vision of the night when deep sleep falls on people as they slumber in their beds. We all dream every night. Most of us don't remember our dreams. Some of them are nice dreams. Some of them are unpleasant dreams. Some of them are nightmares. Some of them are nice ones. Sometimes we wake up thankful that that's not real and sometimes we wake up wishing it was real. We all dream every night. But then there's sometimes when we get a dream and it's just that bit different. And normally, not always, normally when it's a prophetic dream, you wake up immediately and you know there's something different about it. Or you wake up the next morning and you remember it in detail. I would encourage you to, if you are starting to get dreams, to keep a little journal or a little notebook beside your bed. And as soon as you get it, wake up and write it down. Because sometimes by the morning you've forgotten about it. When we were starting to think about coming here, we'd been asked and we had, we had originally said no. And then God began to change our hearts and began to prompt us. Yes, we began to sense through different prophetic words. God had spoken to us both separately through prophetic words that said, go back the way you came. And we hadn't told each other because we didn't want to. Um, 
true story, literally within a month, two people had come up to us separately on different occasions and said, the Lord says, go back the way you came. And I'm like, oh, no, Lord, that cannot be you. Um, but we began in the summer of 2017, while we're living in Port Stewart still, we began to sense maybe God is calling us to Hopeland and to Craig Avon. And Becky, over the, the month or so before that, kept coming to me and kept saying, I'm having these dreams and I'm having these pictures, but I'm having dreams about a white house with a tree house. I keep having pictures of a white house with a tree house. And like Becky gets a lot of pictures and a lot of dreams. And to be quite honest, I, you know, I kind of roll my eyes sometimes. And I say, she knows that. So I can say that. Like, I'm just like, yeah, you know, because literally every day my lovely wife has pictures and dreams and visions and, and, and she is a vision. And uh, I think I crawled that one back there. Um, not quite. I've still a bit to go, my lovely, beautiful wife. Um, but she kept saying, I keep seeing this white house with a tree house, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then our friends, Matt and Catherine Armstrong, put on Facebook, we're heading to New Zealand for a year. Would anybody like to rent our house? It's on Ballyhallen Road and put it down. This is the photograph they put up on Facebook. This is the photograph they put up on Facebook. A white house with a massive tree house. <coughs> They were leaving the month this church needed me to, us to start. They were coming back within a year. And as soon as Becky saw that, she went, that's the house I keep seeing. And honestly, that was probably the biggest confirmation, as well as God speaking through other ways, that God had called us here. A white house with a tree house. That's a tree house. That's a white house. And that's where we lived. And they gave it to us at a very reduced rate. Uh, that They had been offered almost twice as much for it. But they, once we shared with them what God, they said, we believe God's in this, we want you to live there. And God used a dream. We see this throughout scripture, don't we? Joseph had dreams. Joseph had dreams about his own future, about them bowing down to him that seemed ridiculous and didn't happen for a long time. And he also had dreams about, he was able to interpret dreams for other people. So dreams is definitely a way God speaks to us. Number four, I'm going to have to fly through these, I have five minutes left. Impressions and thoughts. That's how he most often speaks to me, actually. Just a thought that comes into my mind. It's literally just, it's like a, a butterfly that lands on your arm, and if you don't get it, it flies off. That's literally, it's just a thought that will come into my mind. Just a, it could be a snapshot, could be a thought. Just, and it's something, here's the, here's the way I look at it. I always ask myself, would I naturally have thought that? Would I normally have thought that thought? And if I wouldn't, then I'm, I start asking, is that possibly God speaking? Because here's, I remember the first time I ever heard somebody prophesy. It was at the church I talked about last week in Korean, where they prayed for me to speak in tongues. And I remember the pastor got up, and this is what he said. Thus saith the Lord, ye shall walk, and these shall go through the valley, and you shall come through the dry ground. Thus saith the Lord, and ye shall enter the... And, and I'm like, that's prophecy? Like I was expecting some booming voice from heaven or some lightning bolt or like stone tablets to come down and you know and, and so that's what I thought. And then the more I began to think about it, the more I began to think, well, where does God live today? We're temples of the Holy Spirit. So if God is going to speak, He's going to speak inside us. And here's the biggest secret I have learned to hear in God's voice. Don't tell anyone this. The biggest secret to hear in God's voice is that his voice sounds very like your thoughts. That was worth the price of admission right there. 
His voice will sound very like your thoughts. And that is why you will think that was just me. But over time, I have started to learn that when God speaks, it's normally just through a thought in my head. But it's through a thought that just seems a little bit different. Sometimes like this morning, as I was praying, God reminded me of something that happened a few weeks ago where I had been doing a wedding and I'd put on a new suit that I'd bought last year, but it was too tight. And I'd forgotten all about it. It was really awkward. It was one of those weddings where you're like, I don't want to bend over here because something really bad could happen um, with this suit. And it was my new suit. And God reminded me of that and he began to speak to me about not wearing ill-fitting things. Even some new things are too tight for you. Do you understand? God just brought a random thought to my mind. It was a very normal thought. And I'm like, why would he start making me think about a wedding and a suit two weeks ago? And I didn't want to replace the suit because it was new. I only got it last year. But I've got bigger and the suit hasn't. And sometimes it was just about don't try to keep worrying ill-fitting. I was determined to hold on to it. Don't keep trying to squeeze into things that don't fit you any longer. That's a word for actually somebody here today as well. And it's not about your outfit. It's not about your weight. And sometimes prophetic acts. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But throughout scriptures we see prophetic acts. Um, God told Isaiah to walk around naked as a sign of the nakedness of his people. He told uh, Hosea to marry a prostitute as a sign that his people have been adulterous and promiscuous. I am not going to do either of those. You shall be glad to hear. But God often does speak through prophetic acts. Um, When we moved to Dublin, there had been the church had been very much in decline, was about to die. And there was an old graveyard at the back of the church with a little stump of a tree that had been dead for a long, long time. But within a month, a little shoot began to appear out of that dead tree. And people just noticed it. And it was a sign that out of the deadness, there's new life coming. Just little prophetic signs, little prophetic acts. So that's the main way as God speaks. A couple of practical points. Speak from love. That's very clear. If I have prophecy and can fathom all mysteries... And all knowledge. If I have faith that can move mountains, but if not love, I have nothing. You always speak from love. The goal is not to the goal is not to use prophecy, and sometimes that's happened to me, where people have said things to me as a prophecy, but it's really them just trying to have a go at me. I think God might be saying this, and it's just you know they're just getting something off their chest. That's not nice. Um, speak to build people up. The one prophesies. Uh, the one who prophesies, First Corinthians 14, speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. If you have a word for somebody asked, does this strengthen them? Does it encourage them? Does it comfort them? Because I don't know about you, but I need this. The other way to put this, does it build up, does it fire up, or does it hold up? Sometimes I need built up. I'll strengthen. I just need built up. Sometimes I need fired up. I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling weary. I'm feeling weak. I just need fired up. And sometimes I just need held up. I need comforted. What does it do? And some other practical points. Dial down, don't tense up. Dial down, don't tense up. I'm never going to get through this, but that's okay. I'm, I have two stories and I'm going to finish. But when it comes to the prophetic, very often people will get intense. They get really intense. I've got to hear God speak. And that's probably the hardest way to hear God speak is the more intense you are. 
It's not about technique. It's about relationship. Everything flows from relationship. God's voice sounds very much like your thoughts. I've already said that. There's always a risk. And when there's risk, there's fear. You will have been praying for somebody at home and you'll have thought about them and you'll have thought, I I need to send them a text or I need to say something to them. And then your fear will kick in and your rational mind will kick in. You'll go, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. We've all done that. You know what? If that happens, just push through it. Push through that fear. And you will get it wrong. We are not living in the Old Testament. You will not get stoned to death. Okay? That's what happened when the prophet got it wrong in the Old Testament. We are New Covenant people. And the Bible says in the New Testament, we prophesy in part. In other words, you never get 100% right. But it normally starts with just a nugget. And as you open your mouth, or as you write it down, God gives you the rest. And like any gift, it will only grow as you use it. But here's the key. Will you be quiet enough for God to speak? Because as you read the Bible, here's what I've found. God shouts at his enemies, but he whispers to his friends. Remember Elijah at Mount Carmel? The fire came down and God did this great dramatic act in 1 Kings 18. And it was like this big dramatic shouting moment where God was showing his enemies his power. The next chapter, Elijah runs into the desert. And it says that there was a great wind, but God wasn't in the wind. And there was a great earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then it says there was a fire. And I can imagine Elijah knowing that God wasn't in the wind at the earthquake, but the fire. That was the way God had just shown up a chapter before, but it says God wasn't in the fire. But then there was a still, small voice. Why does God whisper? Because to hear a whisper, you have to be close. You have to be quiet, and you have to be close. Two stories. Worship team, if you'd come up actually and just make it sound spiritual by playing the keys behind me. A story about a dad who came home. He was a farmer, and he had been out uh, harvesting the hay, and they had massive barns with hay, uh, bales everywhere. And he came home and he was really annoyed and he sat at the dinner table and his family said, what's wrong? He said, I've lost my watch. And it wasn't an ordinary watch. It was a family heirloom that had been handed down from his great-grandfather. It was an old watch. It wasn't like one of these. It was one of those ones that ticked. And it had been from his great-grandfather to his grandfather to his dad and now passed on to him. And he said, somewhere while I've been gathering the hay and bailing it in the massive barns and I've looked everywhere and I can't find it. And his little boy, who was about eight years old, said, I'll go out and find it. And his dad said, don't be silly, son. You'll never find it. If I've looked, it literally is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. And the little boy left the table quietly and he went out. And he climbed on top of the hay and he lay there. And for the first wee while, all he could hear was his own thoughts. And then all he could hear was his breathing. And he stilled himself and he lay there. And then all he could hear was his own heart he stilled himself and he lay there and after about an hour of laying there all he could hear is tick 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 and he kept listening and after about another half hour he began to get a sense of direction and he found the watch because he had stilled himself enough to hear the still 
small dick. And some of us are just too noisy and our lives are too busy to hear the voice of God. And one story to finish, which I only heard this morning and I thought it would be a great story to finish. Mike Pilavachi, who leads Soul Survivor in England, shares a story about he was ministering in Plymouth in a church and during the service this guy wandered in who who looked like he didn't really fit. He, he was wearing just stuff that just didn't seem to fit the rest of the atmosphere. And at the end, they were praying with different people. And, and, and they, Mike noticed that some of the team were praying with this guy at the back of the church. And so when Mike had finished praying with somebody, he went down to this guy at the back, and he's praying with him. And he keeps getting this song in his head. And I've never heard this song. The song is this, Won't You Come Home, Bill Bailey? Won't you come home? I think it's from like the 50s. Some of you might know it. Won't you come home, Bill Bailey? Won't you come home? And uh, and he's like, what is going Like, that song's stupid. Like, why am I even thinking? But he began, he did exactly, he thought, why am I thinking a silly song that I haven't heard in years? And so he's praying, and he says to the guy, this is so strange, this is stupid. But I keep getting this old song. Does it mean anything? Won't you come home, Bill Bailey? Won't you come home? And the man immediately burst into tears. His name wasn't Bill Bailey, it was Jack Bailey. But what had happened was two weeks before he had had a huge argument with his wife and he had walked out on his wife and family. And he'd been living in B&Bs and hotels and he was wandering the streets. And he was too proud to go back home And he goes into this church as he's wandering the streets. He goes past and he he walks in. And some random guy comes up to him and says, I think God's saying to you, won't you go home, Mr. Bailey? Won't you come home? And the church leaders helped him to go back to his wife and kids. And the relationship was restored and reconciled. That's the beauty of prophecy. It's not about showing your love of power. It's about showing the power of God's love. Would you stand with me?